need for arduous seeking. All you have to do is follow the clues. You start to see this as a simulation, as a type of computerized AI manufactured reality. We are playing like putty into the hands of the manipulators who are just setting us at war with each other. This is the way, higher side chatters, coming in hot from the Sunshine State. I'm Greg Carlwood. And for those who have the eyes to see, the state of mainstream news media is about as sad as I've ever seen. With most of the airtime spent tearing down the sacred cow figureheads of Team Red or Blue, filtering everything through a lens of climate alarmism, and still trying to cultivate the right level of outrage over things that happened years ago that are still falling pretty flat. You won't hear a word about Agenda 2030, the World Economic Forum, the latest studies on COVID jab damage, the false promises of the green tech grift, digital IDs, individual carbon tracking, the attack on independent farmers and ranchers, ESG scores, social credit, microchip implanted pills for compliance tracking, continued corporate deplatforming and online narrative control, banking consolidation, or any of the things that are happening all around us that are getting harder to ignore. It's like a hypnotist trying to put you under while the building you're in is being demolished. It shouldn't be working, and if it is, you're sleeping so deeply someone should check your pulse. Luckily, though, we still have a few brave, dedicated pockets of propaganda-parsing true journalism like the last American Vagabond and the main man behind it, today's guest, Ryan Christian. Ryan founded the last American Vagabond with a mission to, quote, allow a free flow of information in regard to current issues that face the world, with a focus being on many such issues that are purposefully and discreetly culled by those who stand to lose either financially or professionally due to their relevance. Speaking truth to power and only getting more popular every day, he has cultivated a network of top-level independent journalists from around the world, including occasional THC guests Whitney Webb and Derek Bros. And the contrast between what they do and where the mainstream is only works further in their favor. On top of a constant flow of great articles and a fresh, unbiased perspective on current events, you can hear Ryan summarizing the latest news on his podcast, The Daily Wrap-Up, keeping up with his Rockfin show, Moving Target, and pulling together the disenchanted and deplatformed voices of dissent on the pirate stream. A busy man doing more in a day than I do all week, the dedicated deep-diving journalist, hidden agenda highlighter, and truly the last American vagabond. Ryan, welcome to the higher side. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, man. Big fan of your show, and I thank you for the kind words and the introduction. I love it. Of course, this is an honor. I've had a lot of respect for you for quite a long time. Your output is just super impressive and the team you've cultivated is top tier. I really like that little self-description that I quoted where you say the focus is on issues that are purposefully and discreetly culled by those who stand to lose financially and professionally because 
it does seem like the mainstream has gotten so compromised that they have to call any coverage of the majority of things going on in the world, which is sort of like a self-inflicted death by a thousand cuts as more people realize they're leaving more out than they're putting in, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, and for me, the statement was really also trying to make it as clear as possible that outside of the paradigm perspective, right, it's whatever we see being cold, removed, hidden, because either side of the paradigm or the illusion of it all, people within it are trying to benefit by hiding that, you know, and you're right, the media, corporate media today is just, it's a positive thing, quite frankly, I think more people are seeing through it than ever. But yeah, it's gotten clumsy and desperate. And that's why shows like yours are important. Uh, and websites like yours. And it's going to be great to be able to get into so many of these different things that you've been covering. I think most recently I've heard you talking about the Maui fires and I saw Whitney Webb's post saying, how about we stop pretending to be experts in directed energy weapons and fire dynamics and just try to help the people who lost everything. Right. And I do understand that sentiment. Sometimes we get so into the analysis that we forget that real people are caught up in these things. Right. And I'm a little less interested in the mechanism and more interested in the questions of if this was intentional or completely organic. And in those terms, there are some factors you've been talking about that make this tragic event very convenient for some of the usual suspects, right? Yeah, there's a lot of factors and dynamics. Well, just first to Whitney's point, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that the problem is and she would agree with this as well, we should always be willing and able and open to questions, asking things, you know, could this have been involved? Is there evidence to that effect? What she's pointing out is the people that are, you know, flooding the conversation with hypothesis or pressing those ideas as absolute fact without knowing for sure. And that eclipsing the very reality of the people suffering, as you're pointing out. And that's such a sad thing to see, you know, partisanship. You're going to hear that my audience knows well that the crux of every point seems to come back to the fact that these false sides are keeping us from getting any real momentum past that, you know. But to your question, you know, what we're seeing on the ground is, I mean, there's a lot of history here around how corporations, and it goes back to the original occupation of the Hawaiian Islands in general, Lahaina specifically, the area where this was, is like, as I understand it, was the original, like the capital, if that's the correct term, of the Kingdom of Hawaii before the occupation. And it's apparently one of the strongest holdouts in all of the islands of Hawaii in regard to not giving in to the corporate growth and, you know, trying to kind of, you know, the Oprah's and Bezos and Zuckerberg's that are these parasites of the islands, just kind of, I mean, people that are like what Larry Singer buys an entire island and argues he's going to make it a playground for the rich. I mean, these are people like people lived there, you know, and not everybody wanted to leave. Right. And so in this case, what we're seeing is that there's a lot of overlap to that, where that doesn't prove that this was done because of that, but we should ask that, right? Were there interests that were so hell-bent on trying to get this area that they'd be willing to execute something like this? And that doesn't have to mean that everything that went out afterward was all part of it. Maybe something was done and that got out of control. Maybe that overlaps with the real situation that is part of this, that as the corporate, you know, I talked about this with Shelby from Injected, which is going to come out later today. RFK made a similar point. I saw this in Oahu myself. Corporations come in and they basically don't care about the local area. They bring non-indigenous species of plants and animals and this ruins the area. It's been going on forever. In one case, she points out the sugarcane industry and how what they did in general had left a lot of dry. They basically hurt the land to where it leaves a lot of dry 
brush and things that aren't taken care of. But then when they left, which apparently has also happened before all of this, they then left it even worse so that the areas that they were using are even still dry. And so you, you end up with this area that's rife for this kind of problem. And then you combine that with what they say were the winds and you can see how a fire might just happen. But the real point is all of the anomalies. You know, when we get into that, like the questions that we should be asking about how the fires are making things that I don't seem to think make sense. But until we can prove anything, we should shy away from saying it's this or that, which my coverage has really been trying to kind of discern the truth of it all and ask questions without, you know, definitively saying we know one or the other if we don't. You know, I think that's really important. Yes. And I think your approach is one of the best. I love that you're truly bipartisan. Nonpartisan. Uh, outs- yeah, yeah, exactly. As soon as I said, it, I was like, mm, yeah, you're outside of the system. I try to be the same way. Every time you want to criticize the Biden administration, someone says, well, what about this? And then when you criticize Trump, you get a what about that? And it's like, let's get outside of that. That is the the worst kind of mind control scheme there is, is just coordinating us off into these two teams. But when it comes to the Maui fires, there is apparently a pretty secret-ish military installation there that seems like it could be pretty relevant to the cause or the directed energy weapon question, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in my effort to do this, like, so right out of the gate when this came out, I was very skeptical because more than ever today, as I'm sure you're aware any conversation that becomes something that I think is important, whether because this is just corruption or covering up the fact that they didn't act well enough or their systems didn't work, we can get into all that stuff. You know, those alone, people are willing to cover these things up because they don't want to be accountable, right? So whether it's that or something larger, right away, when you see something like this important, it gets dumped from either side with things that aren't real or old images from 10 years ago or pictures from Paradise, California fires, you know. And so I was really on guard to start going like, OK, I know that's not real. Like, you know, I saw people sharing images of laser beams where I took 10 seconds to do a reverse image search and you could find the image from five years ago and they added it, you know, and whether they know that or not is kind of irrelevant. You know, it's just so I'm flooded with fake stuff. So I'm like, OK, I'm already on guard but I want to know the truth. So I start digging into this and right away I find something really crazy. And so my point is whether or not this is related, cause the fires or related or is up for you to decide. I don't think we can prove that, but I found a location. There's these general locations called AFRLs or Air Force Research Laboratories. They're all over the world. In this case, there's one location. I don't want to mispronounce the names, but it's in the mountain range on the main larger part of Maui. And it's called the Directed Energy Directorate. It's public, right? Now, if you look this up, it's public-facing sort of a space surveillance research. But as I've tweeted and covered, it's all the source material directly from the people working there, including the main guy, Dr. Kelly Hammett. Now, he's spoken publicly, both on his own website, which is currently public, or multiple interviews. And he is proudly saying, for example, that he is proud and that he mainly focused on directed energy weapon systems technology for the Air Force. Then one of the other parts I think is really incredible is he goes on to say, and by the way, there's these two main locations in regard to directed energy research. There's one on Maui. There's also one in New Mexico, but they're both involved in the same work. Now, he openly says this in one of his interviews. He says, quote, we delivered the United States Air Force's first ever operational directed energy weapons. When I read that, I almost fell out of my chair. I'm like, okay, This doesn't even prove that it was connected to whether this was used or not. But I'm thinking, how ridiculous. It's like Wuhan lab and the COVID narrative. It's like, come on. It's like right there. Right. And I'm just going, okay. so but still, (laughs) I got to be careful, you know. So but he goes on to basically say something that I found really relevant. 
which was that they not only developed, as he says, directed energy counter unmanned aerial systems, the he, three Raytheon high energy weapon systems. And it's all cited. You can look this up for yourself. It's on my website, and I'll include this if you want to include it in your show notes. But he says the most important one. He says the Air Force Research Laboratory's tactical high-powered operational responder system, the acronym, of course, THOR, which, you know, they love to use these acronyms. And it says we built THOR in-house, that's on Maui, in 18 months, record-breaking time. He says as part of these efforts, they secured the Secretary of Defense approval for operational use of all systems. So there's no questioning that they have a system that is a directed energy weapon in-house system in that location, okay? And so I thought that's pretty crazy. And then you realize it's operational. So my first thought is, okay, just thinking outside the box. Is it not possible this was something that was tested? Just as, and it got out of hand, like they've done a thousand times? Or maybe that you could overlap this with the bigger story of how Lahaina specifically, which is in direct range that you could see that, you know, it's, it's on the mountain range. You can see this from there. Whether this was something that was done and got out of control or done for this purpose, we shouldn't shy away from asking those crazy questions, right? But the bigger thing for me is just simply that once we start going through all of the data, Shelby, for example, from Unjected, Thompson, Shelby Thompson, she shared this with me. There's a video of somebody's camera who is facing the direction of this mountain range. She confirmed this. She knows the person. And right before this started, you see this massive blue light flash. And she can testify that there is no transformers. Because I made the point to say that can mm -hmm. look, transformers explode. And it looks very similar, right? There's no power lines back there. And it's a direct line to the mountain range. Now, the guy on the video says, we saw this blue light. And you can see it on his camera from his house. And then all of a sudden, fires are started, you know? And so these are all provable things. Whether that means that was a directed energy weapon or not, I don't know. And, I'm, and I think we should question that. We shouldn't assume. But I just find this really hard not to include when this seems to be something people are asking. And as far as I can tell, like the entirety of the Maui community is convinced that this was not organic. Mm. And that we can get into like the way it went down, the system's not working, the seemingly provable misrepresentation of how many people actually got killed. These things are concerning to me, you know? Mm. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that, but I do agree that it's not wrong to speculate. A lot of times we are left with speculation as the only option because all the systems that we have in place are corrupt and the mainstream journalistic apparatus is also corrupt. So sometimes the real evidence is outside of what we can find, like what we can access. And so I think that's okay because a lot of times it's this culture that, well, if you don't have evidence, you shouldn't speculate that actually keeps a lot of things in house because they control a lot of the evidence. Right. So, you know, a lot of these ideas, you got to look at what the motivations look like, what's a pretty convenient coincidence for the system and their overall agenda, which, you know, a lot of people were talking about the land grab aspect and clearing out those holdouts, the people who have lived there for a long time because they have some plans for the region. It also is very convenient for the climate change thing. Every day there has to be some big scary example of how the climate is killing us and we're all screwed and doomed. But yeah, talk to us about some of those other aspects. You mentioned systems not working and the death toll being a little manipulated. What's the real truth there? We always caution skepticism. You know, just because someone says it online and just because they live in Maui doesn't make it true. They could be wrong. They could be lying, whatever. But as always, the whole body of this, like you, you look, I mean, it's overwhelming. And I've spoken to people that I know on Maui. I've spoken to people that I know on Oahu. You know, I've spoken to people like Shelby. And then again, taken in conjunction with all the endless amounts of videos of people fleeing the area and saying, 
that, you know, literally we saw bodies everywhere. It breaks my heart. We saw women with children running and diving into the and then acting like it's only 80 people when you can like visibly see like this. I mean, again, it's all secondhand, but here's actually the best example. The editor of Maui Now, who is, is a local paper, but is a journalist, is on the record going, she's not being allowed to even be let in the area to see what's going on. They won't give her information. And they're reporting information that nobody else is verifying because people won't be like her point is, it's not necessarily all the media lying, which I'm usually <laughs> that's usually the last thing I'm thinking. But it's that they're not even letting people get in. So they're basically just reciting the oldest earlier number they have 80 plus or whatever. But people are saying thousands. I mean, it's hard not to see that when you look at the damage and these people are local. They know where are all the people that we knew from the area. You know, it's heartbreaking. So that's one thing, which is largely secondhand information. But the way it's being handled, and this gets into more secondhand, but, you know, the reports about how the first responders were acting, which, you know, this gets into some weird stuff. But there's a lot of reports of the way that they apparently were like not even answering questions, almost like dead face, like wouldn't even respond to these people. I don't know what you want to take that for, but I've heard that a lot from the average people that survived. Very strange. But then ultimately that they weren't helping anybody. They're turning away support from anybody that doesn't come. Like people bringing water, bringing insulin. I was just listening to one of these, one of the most famous surfers in the world is on the record going, look, man, we're trying to bring insulin. They won't even let us bring it in. It's not because they have an alternative source. There's nothing coming and they won't even let us help, you know? And then you could overlap that with the fact, and this is one of the biggest ones for me. And again, I lived on Oahu for two years. It's obviously a very different island. It's very more mainstream, but you get very accustomed to both the exercises of the hearing the tsunami sirens just to make sure they work, but also that tsunamis or the warnings of them are not that infrequent. The point is, it's very common that you hear this in Maui more so. And the point is, as she said, you hear these things once a month. It's constant. And then I even pointed out examples of the past where you have multiple false alarms. We've talked about the fake ballistic missile warning and all these things wrecked with North Korea. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And then th- this is the first time I've even heard of where these things like just didn't work. No sirens went off. And then you can overlap that with the fact that there's military bases on Oahu, like really close with high speed boats. They apparently still haven't come to help. They could have had people on the shore spraying in ocean water. And none of this makes sense to me. Now, that's not to say that there's not some reason. There's always an explanation whether you want to take it at face value or not, but that's not even coming forth with. Yeah, but I don't know. The whole thing screams that there's at the very least cover up because they didn't handle this properly, you know, but overlapping that with the Great Reset part of it, I think, is why people are so quick to go. I mean, there's documents of World Economic Forum 2018 saying Hawaii will be the very first digital clean energy location. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, and the Lahaina now seems to be the point where the, I think the mayor just said, like, we're going to rebuild and we got the money. The president gave the authority the president. <laughs> no one's even helping these people yet. We're already approving new building. See what I mean? Like there's yep. reasons to be skeptical, you know, and I know you agree with that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think that when we can't get real evidence, the best thing to look at for our skepticism is breaks in protocol because yeah. there's an established protocol for everything. And I've interviewed people who wrote the book on some of that protocol for certain kinds of disasters like mass shootings. And then we have these events and these people are like, hey, this, 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 and this, it didn't add up. Protocol was broken here. So why is that? Right. Because these are supposed to be the, the best techniques and processes for getting through such a situation. So yeah, always got to look at that. And I know you researched the fires in California. We just had these crazy fires in Canada. It's actually hard to keep up with sometimes. You just look at the news and it's like, okay, another 
disaster to make people feel completely hopeless. But the air quality in a huge swath of the U.S. because of this was affected. Having looked at previous fire events, like what are your thoughts on like the big picture of all this? Is it a continuum? Is it a, an agenda that is just popping up in different places? Well, let's take the first point about the like, let's take paradise, for example. You know, that was why I was so skeptical here. Not because there's not valid reasons to ask these questions, but because I already saw back then how this gets kind of muddied. And look, I quite frankly think part of this is intentional muddying of the water because these things are likely partly real, if not entirely. That's a real thing we should consider. You know, you got the high influencers left, right that dump the nonsense. And so people ignore it from both sides, you know. But Paradise, for example, this was the first time that I really put some like I was interviewing, not even for the show, like just speaking with fire chiefs multiple locations, you know, what's your take on this? What do you think happened? Is that strange to you? And that's what I've come to find in a lot of things. Like, here's a good example of something that gets misrepresented all the time, even though we should always ask whether that could be used nefariously, because it very well could be. But it's a very common tactic for firemen to use these drones to drop these embers in areas prepped for it, for the most part. So they basically create like a burn line. So when the fire reaches it, it will stop. It's a very logical thing to do. Now, of course, what happens is people see, oh, look, they started them. You can see them dropping the fires here. Maybe that's a fair question to ask because it could be used that way. But then you can stand back and see where it was done. And you're like, OK, the point is that that gets misrepresented a lot. That happened a lot in paradise. And so I started kind of pushing into these things and asking specifically one of these captains about what he thought. And he was the first one to tell you. And this was a pretty popular video at the time. It wasn't mine, but I remember sharing it from people asking him. And I was asking other people about this, that he saw things he couldn't explain. Things that he was like, I've done this for 40 years. He's like, that's not possible. That's important, right? He knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, explaining like the ones that I would speak to going, yeah, well, you know, it, sometimes it can burn right around one house. Sometimes it can leave trees, you know, based on moisture, based on the way the wind was going, the based on a thousand factors. So these videos, especially in Hawaii, where it's like, look at the tree left. It's kind of like, I'm just, those don't impact me anymore because I'm like, maybe, but that happens also all the time with fire, you know? So that was kind of my experience with all that is I came to see very clearly that there was a lot of corruption, a lot of overlaps with things that largely then it turned out to be arsonists, or at least that's what we're told, right? But also the PG&E aspect of not cleaning the lines and, and all that, right? Now, here's the point I think is most important. Frankly, today, I'm asking whether that was even the truth. Then I was thinking, and I think this is how this tends to work. Go, oh, okay, finally, we got them. And it kind of, they give you that out where you think, oh, you know, the corruption of the corporation. And that's an easy take. Could it have been something bigger? Maybe, especially looking today, possibly. Shouldn't shy away from that. I see in Hawaii now the same thing. Oh, it turns out it was the electric company. And this was part of the reason. And I'm going, I don't know. You know, that just seems like an easy out because we're going to quickly go, yep, that makes sense. My point was in PG&E, they didn't have any negative consequences. In fact, they started charging people more for their bills. So if you really look at it, they benefited from being called out for that because they said, OK, fine, we're going to increase this. We're going to shut your power off when it's a problem with the wind. Remember that? I mean, it's crazy. So my main thing is I think that there's reason to question these things. And I think we see activists like there's the level of like the climate change activists that think that by setting fires, they can convince people it's deadly like that really exists. Those are the radicalized people they pretend we are, right? They're, they're buying the narrative. Right. But there's also the aspect of whether governments would do this. And sorry, long-winded answer, but I think that <laughs> governments absolutely are capable of setting fires to achieve a certain end, of testing things without caring for the consequences, or quite literally executing something like we saw in Hawaii. Now, that's hard for some people to wrap their mind around. But if you're a student of history, 
both before the United States government and now, it's very clear that they would be willing to do that if it was a large enough agenda, if they felt like they were cornered enough, like I think they feel right now. But I don't know. I don't think anybody really knows. But yeah, I think that the history has shown us a lot of corruption at the very least. Mm-hmm. I agree. And when the people on the World Economic Forum stage are telling us what they want to do and then we see those things happen. Right. I mean, it's not rocket science, but another event that you've spoken about as a orchestrated event or a potential land grab is the East Palestine train derailment disaster. And it might have been much more than just a land grab, but now that we're six months on from that event, I know you've continued to look into it and follow the latest information regarding the health effects of those exposed and dioxins, which is a term I don't hear much, but you've said they are the most dangerous category of chemicals we can be exposed to. Talk to us about the aftermath of that disaster and the latest information on it. Yeah, it's this one really gets under my skin because, yeah, now, I mean, six months past this, and we're at a point now where not only have we found out, and this is what's crazy to me, I'm willing to bet most people in your eyes don't even know this, the corporate media sure as hell is not saying a word about it. We're at a point now where it has come out in official hearings from the government that they've ruled that the burn wasn't controlled. It was an uncontrolled burn by every definition of the term. The flow of oxygen is typically how you have a controlled burn. Burning in the open is not controlling the oxygen, so it's not controlled. That They knew this, which they didn't think of how they lie about it and say that the whole time. This media is ridiculous. But so they ruled it was unnecessary. That's a crazy thing to hear now, that the entire reason for why this is a problem wasn't even necessary. And then you come to find out that the person that they're blaming, which is what Norfolk Southern CEO Shaw himself and even the EPA are sort of pointing at, is the volunteer fire chief in East Palestine. Now, here's what happened. This came out in the court of law, and this is verifiable, and I put this on the show with all the source material, is that Alan Shaw went to their experts. He's the CEO of Norfolk Southern. They're experts. And most people don't even know this. This wasn't just vinyl chloride. It was treated vinyl chloride. I didn't know that until like a month ago. And the reason was it's treated to make it less volatile. That's not something we heard, right? Now, the point was they went to the expert. He went to the expert. He asked them. This came out in the hearing. They told him it was highly unlikely that it would explode. Think about that. Hmm. He then went back to the fire chief, didn't tell him that. And the EPA and Alan Shaw basically cornered this guy, said, you have 13 hours to make a decision. Now, think about the pressure for a volunteer fire chief, one of the largest railroad companies in the world, and the federal EPA and the local EPA and all of the momentum around this, all the local people acting like it's his decision to make something happen. So then he made a choice based on limited information, omitted information, and then they all blame him. Now, today, on the record, he's saying, I was railroaded. Mm -hmm. Not No pun intended. Like, he literally (laughs) was like, I was completely run right over the... Nobody cares about this, right? And so all this is so important to the reality that now we can prove that the dioxin levels are not, which really crazy to me, not only in the last couple of months have they not gone down, they're increasing. I think that's because they're digging and they're moving all the stuff around and it's causing this to fly in the air. That's what the experts are saying. But Scott C. Smith, one of the independent experts who are still working there, this is not hyperbole. He found in the air vents of the people in these homes 14,000% higher dioxin levels than the control that he was testing. 14,000%. We have to realize these things are measured in the parts per trillion for being dangerous. And the level that they just admitted they're finding, I just proved a month ago, based on all the records from their own website, is like 500 times more than the safe level. And they're going, but it's equivalent to the other areas. Well, yeah, that's been my point. These dioxin levels are high in a lot of places in the country, and nobody cares about that. I just think that's terrifying. 
now the other part of this is, you know, that we're at a point now where I personally don't really think that this was about a land grab to begin with, but I could be wrong. But now it's clearly part of it, right? They're clearly leaning into this. They're buying people's land at not the appropriate price, despite them swearing they would, swearing they would pay for everything. They're not paying for testing. They're not paying for blood screenings. They're refusing to. And the media doesn't care about this at all, right? So it very well could be in this very important area in the country that this was all about, one, stopping the continual farming that they seem to want to stop around the world, but also just buying the land, which will control more of the agricultural area. But, you know, these are all hypothetical points. I can't prove that, but it seems to align with everything else we're talking about. Quite frankly, the biggest part for me is the risk there that that opened this door to PFAS, which mm. is also a problem that nobody wants to talk about. Suddenly the media is like PFAS and your water. It's like, yeah, you guys have known that for 30 years. Nobody's been caring until now. You know, dioxins, for example, the EPA has been talking about this for longer than that. In fact, CNN wrote an article in 1995 that says that the dioxins you were getting and the fast food you were eating, the EPA said was potentially 100 times the amount that you should be taking in 1995. Nobody said anything about that. It's only gotten worse. So that's kind of why I think this was a desperate effort to cover it up. But I think the railroad company was just really about profit, getting the train running as fast as possible, covering everything up. They should be in jail right now. Yeah, absolutely. Man, it's so sad to hear at a time when so many people are one or two paychecks away from financial ruin. They can't even afford to move or relocate. Even if they got fair market value, they're tied right. to their jobs and their careers. This is the heartland of America. That seems very coincidental given, you know, everything we hear from the World Economic Forum and the changes to agriculture and farming that they're trying to promote. Yeah, it's super sad. And in a lot of interviews, I'll end up having to say, like, we have so many toxins in our environment that you can hide behind anything. The telecommunications industry can say, well, EMF isn't harmful because if you, you can't peg harm to that because it could be the cancer causing chemicals out there. It could be right. the terrible water quality. It could be so yeah. many things. Now it could be the shot. There's so many things and you just know that it's a toxic world in general and all those various industries are so happy to hide in the ambiguity of that whole big toxic soup that we live in all the time. Yeah, it's really sad. But one good thing is that I do think more and more people are becoming aware of it, you know, and a whole can of worms to get into on the back of that very conversation, which is this kind of dovetailed for me with the transgender conversation is the endocrine disrupting chemicals. It's mm. it kind of blew me away how I mean, I'm not going to say that proves that that's the real reason, but when I started realizing that every single one of these prolific chemicals that we somehow all seem to know are bad, but we don't stop from being everywhere, are all endocrine disrupting chemicals. And that includes what's happening with these shots they're giving. But we're talking about glyphosate, which is, I mean, this is the crazy part for me is that people don't talk about this anymore. Glyphosate's in the air you're breathing. It's in the clothes you're wearing right now. It's literally everywhere. That's not hyperbole. But we talked about dioxins. That's one. PFAS. That's one. I mean, everything. It's really kind of crazy. Benzene and all these things that are in your sunscreens and your children's toys are wildly toxic. Yes. They know all this stuff. And so people don't know it. Endocrine disrupting chemicals just simply mean it affects your endocrine system. That's your hormone production. And that, based on peer-reviewed science, has been shown to cause dysphoria, gender dysphoria. Not to say that's everything, but that's provable. So that's scary, you know? It is. It is. And I hate to just make the same points that every podcast makes, but we don't allow kids to make any life-changing decisions, but all of a sudden this one we have to go with 
whole hog and go through all the surgeries and give them puberty blocking chemicals. And it's again, very convenient for one industry, big pharma that loves this kind of stuff and new markets are popping up. I'm, I'm seeing the number of these gender reassignment facilities. Like they went from two or three in America to now like 30. It is very concerning. And so I actually went and started listening to people who are detransitioners or people who have gone through this process and are now adults. And they talk about it as a hell. They talk about constant pain, infections from the surgeries. They're sterilized. Imagine being 11 years old and being asked the question, if you ever want to have a family, you have no idea. If you would ask me at 21, I might've said, nah, I don't think so. And now I'm in the soup. So it's really crazy to allow these people, these kids to make decisions and just have a whole apparatus that goes along with it. You're also seeing schools circumvent parents' authority over their kids. And there's cases now, I don't know how widespread they are. That's the thing. You hear about one or two really extreme stories and you're like, is that a representation of the whole or an outlier? But there are cases where a kid decides they're now trans. They tell their school about it and they tell their school that dad keeps calling me a girl when I want to be a boy. Let's call Child Protective Services. And then that kid is caught up in the system and then dad can only have supervised visits. And if he misgenders his kid, they yank him out of there and that's considered abuse or some kind of offense. It's crazy. And again, it's like this gets a lot of attention in the podcasting world. And I don't really know how big of an issue it is, but it's clearly bigger than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be real with you. I will go off on this for the next four hours if you like, because it's, <laughs> so I just, there are every possible facet of this you could ask me and I'll, I'd be willing to tell you that I'm educated on it. Maybe not more than everybody else, but this has been something that I didn't intend to really focus on as much as I have. But the moment that I opened this door, and I would say this for anybody that cares about the truth, you can't put this toothpaste back in the bottle, man. It's no. hard. And this is I've always talked about my work in this field in general and how I feel like I'm kind of especially made for it. You know, I'm able to kind of shut this off at night. This has been one of those topics that I've been having a really hard time turning off, mm. you know? And so the point is, from my experience, it's a huge problem. And look, I'm all about liberty and personal freedom. If you're a grown adult and you want to make your choices, you want to make these decisions for your body, that's up to you. Sure. I have my opinions about that, but that's irrelevant to your own personal choice, right? You can do that to your body. The moment this becomes something that's affecting children or that you're telling me I have to act or say certain things, done, not happening, right? That's my personal freedom. Even if I agree with you, I'll still push back on that because it should be my choice, you know? So when I started digging into this, I very early found out a few basic things. I'll start with this. It is already being dismantled to a large degree, which is very positive to see. A lot of the places are now being shut down. That's not to say it won't ramp back up, but so that's good based on what you're saying, it's already starting to come back down. But I saw the explosion of this and all of a sudden realized there's no evidence to back it up. The standards of care they're putting forward come from a lot of these groups that are just simply arguing that it benefits the mental health of a person doing this with basically only observational, personal perspective. And I'm not going to say that it can't, you know, it's a grown-up's choice and maybe that does benefit them. The point is, though, you can prove that they don't know that because there's been no long-term studies. They don't know whether this has any long-term effects other than things we do know. What the craziest part is, we already know it does cause infertility. It does cause 
very serious bone problems, constant infections. They're, I mean, it's crazy how much they know. I mean, strokes, all sorts of problems. That's coming directly from WPATH, which is the leading group on this in the world. Here's another crazy point. Three people from that group have already resigned from the board. They still work with the company in protest because verbatim, the sloppy treatment with children. Mm. That The president-elect of the leading group in the world said that. That's like 2022. And this just got stronger after that. So my point was when it started becoming focused on children, you start aiming your advertising at children. You start arguing that they can decide for themselves. And here's another part. See, this, it just keeps going one part to the next, <laughs> is, is that in school, they're telling these children, you can just decide. You're not sick. You can just decide tomorrow that you're a woman or a man. That's up to you. And you, that's not true, though, because what happens is the next step is, oh, okay, well, then here's puberty blockers. Well, oh, wait a minute. They're on the record saying, we know that causes infertility, but that's the child's choice. That's actually their stance. So that's crazy. They don't think that. They'll push back on that in the community, right? But then here's the biggest problem. To get any of that treatment, puberty blockers, hormone treatments, all which have dangerous side effects, the doctor literally has to write down gender dysphoria. There is no legal avenue to get this treatment without being diagnosed with a disorder. The whole community says that's not true. So now what happens is you've got this middle ground of people that are going, just write it down. Just write it down anyway, because they need the help. So you have doctors who are writing down diagnoses they don't agree with because they're being pressured by this momentum. I mean, mm. this is just terrifying, man. And so these children, and then to your point, and I'll end with this, if I call forever, <laughs> the, the, the detransitioning side of this is overwhelming. The stories from these children being convinced that they had a problem, and some people are like, turns out I was just gay. Turns out I was just a lesbian, mm -hmm. right? Turns yeah. out I was schizophrenic. One of these whistleblowers from one of these groups has already told them in their own hospital, they were funneling in people from the psychiatric ward, ADHD. I mean, and these people were like not even saying they had gender dysphoria. They're just going, oh, you have a psychiatric problem? This will help you. Mm. I mean, that's disgusting, man. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just it's gotten out of control. And thank God people are speaking up and starting to see more of it. But it's ruined these kids. I mean, they will never be the same. And that's what a lot of them are telling us when they speak out about it. Yeah, it's super sad. And then there's that thing where. Dr. Peter McCullough noticed that during Pride Month, the symbol, the, the rainbow symbol was overlaid with the autism symbol. And then he started looking into why that would be. And a large percentage of transitioners are autistic, which to me, that's even another degree of like, how much permanent decision making should you be making? You know, should you really be going under the knife? Here's multiple factors that show that Maybe you have some cognitive difficulties, but people are putting you in a pipeline where they're making a lot of money off of you. And it's it's sick. It really is. And I wanted to switch gears to a couple of other things because you cover so much stuff and there's a lot of stories, some international that I really don't know what to make of them. And I want to get your take. But one of those things is the military coup in Niger. I've heard Several takes about what's going on there. I've read that the president who was ousted was a longtime Western puppet. That wouldn't surprise me. But talk to us about how you've been looking into these events and the real reasons for this happening in Niger. Well, I would say that there's probably a lot of people like Freddie Pontone. I would recommend you check out his work. He's been on this from day one. But, I, you know, I've done some research on this pretty extensive, more than probably most. But still one of the probably lesser ones I've looked into on a larger scale of what I've looked into. But from my perspective and what the evidence seems to show for me is that this was a continent of people that are starkly aware of what's been done to them over the last, you know, long before the United States. 
So for people to understand that long before that, but yes. they have been colonialized and robbed and raped and pillaged for their entire existence almost. And so now these people are suddenly feeling enough momentum to push back on that, you know? And so like Sarah Abdallah makes a great point just about one of these resources. They have a GDP in Nigeria of $9 billion, but export $40 billion in gold. Like mm. there, it's everywhere. And France, who is the leading kind of colonializer of this location, has massive gold reserves in their own vaults, but have no gold mines to speak of. You know, and it's like it, it, they're being manipulated, right? And so from what I can see, this is a popular movement of people that are trying to take back from the puppets. Now, that doesn't mean that the people in power now are any better. Like, that's what I wanted to caution people about. Military juntas often take power, maybe with good intentions, but then don't really relinquish that power. That's typically how these things will go. The people will support it because it's better than it was before, but it very quickly escalates into the same, you know, and then somebody in that very same control structure then gets offered something great by the West and it all starts back over again. You know, that's what I worry about. But from what I can tell, most people seem to be wildly supportive of what they're doing. You have specifically Mali and Burkina Faso who are militarily backing what they're doing. They say, look, if anybody comes in, we're going to back you militarily. We're going to help you fight this. You have ECOWAS, which is this it's kind of like the OAS. It's an organization of like Western controlled entities that act like they're there for democracy, in my opinion. And they're the ones that have been threatening action. You know, so ultimately what it seems like right now is they're refusing to back down after sanctions and military threats. I haven't seen any military action just yet. We have seen France step in and according to Nigeria's government, release terrorists they had in lockdown, just release them into the area, hmm. which is, by the way, what I think is always what this is about. Like You can prove that France or the U.S. being occupying Nigeria has not reduced the extremist atmosphere. In fact, same thing you know, in Syria or elsewhere. We need to be real of what's really going on, guys. They are the ones funding and arming and controlling most of these entities so they can reap all the benefits of the area and keep these people under their thumb. Something I think Michael Hudson points out is that over history, what they do with these countries is create a situation where they force them to only export what's useful for the West, and they force them to import everything they need to survive. So they end up in a situation where they don't even have the setup to grow food they need. And so what happens is when they're in a situation like this, they just go, oh, yeah, well, you're going to starve now. Right. And that's what they're essentially trying to do. But they have support from other countries. But you can see this kind of waterfall of area in Africa that people that are changing their stance and pushing back into the West. Now, the problem is you have Russia in some people's minds making agreements with all these people. Right now, Russia is helping Nigeria. So yeah. from the West's perspective, they go, oh, no, that's bad because Russia is taking over. But here's the difference. I see all these governments as equally concerning. They're all just trying to control our lives for one reason or another. But it doesn't stop Russia from essentially playing the counterbalance to what the U.S. is doing, so, which you could frame as good guy if you want. But so in this case, they're making an agreement. We'll give you this, the X, Y, and Z, and we'll take this. Now, I guarantee that's to the benefit of Russia. I guarantee maybe they're even strong arming a bit. But it's an agreement. They're shaking hands. They're signing documents. That's not what's happening with the West. They're coming in and they're, oh, yeah, terrorists, get out of the way. You're, you know, we'll do what we want and take what we want. And so ultimately, I think this is a, a momentum like that. It's happening all around the world. The Western U.S. in particular power is receding and they're acting out irrationally to try to compensate for that. Frankly, whether it's a U.S. centric perspective or not, I think it's a good thing to watch the kind of power. No one entity should have enough power to be able to make what happened over the last hundred years happen. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. that's what I'm glad to see. But we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. Mm, yeah, I think that's a really great analysis. The Western boot has been on the neck of Africa for a long, long time, pretty much since we've known it was there. Right. And it's crazy because there's a lot of people who get 
basically racist saying, well, they have more resources than anyone in the world. Why hasn't Africa ever been able to lift itself up? It's like, well, because the structures that are foisted upon them are Western structures and they put Western puppets in these positions, sham elections. You can't really get out of the situation and it's a real harvest. And I agree that it does seem as if this is just another move on the big chessboard between China, Russia, and the West. And they probably saw an opportunity here and they threw a little fuel on the fire to take a stab at the West and their interests. I mean, from what I read, France mines uranium there, which they use for over 60% of their current power supply. And there's also a Chevron pipeline project there where it's supposed to be giving oil to a lot of, uh, European nations and given... I think that's why the U.S. is more interested, the pipeline in particular. Right. And given the Nord Stream pipeline, then you could fold that in. You destroy one pipeline, you got to have another one. Right. And so then Russia comes in and says, well, we're going to disrupt this pipeline for you guys since you disrupted our pipeline. These are the games that are going on. A lot of it's energy games. It's a big shakeup, the Great Reset, as they say. And it's embarrassing that the news will present you something just as a face value situation and ignore all this context, the context that the alternative media is super focused on. That's why I wanted to ask you, because I just think that that's where your website is the strongest. I know it's made up of a team of journalists and you named some other ones that might have their finger more on this pulse, but these are the things coming from your website and we're lucky to have you out there. Thank you, man. If I could have more point to that Nigeria aspect of it, I'm glad you mentioned that. There's so many points that, you know, the uranium is a big one. I mean, that's obviously relevant to everything that's going on for the whole world, for that matter. And I think Nigeria recognizes, clearly Russia recognizes that, right? <laughs> but what's interesting is the, the hypocrisy of it all, right? Like, I would be willing to bet you that if the U.S. government, as much as people would be not happy with them, just been simply said, look, we're there because we want the uranium. We were there because we want a pipeline. You can, it's, and even just be like, that's better for our control if you think that means freedom, right? But the point is they don't do that. They scream freedom and human rights. And it's just nobody buys this anymore because their own actions, they show how this is not even remotely what they care about, you know? And it, it's the hypocrisy point is, so in this case, you have a military junta that takes power away from somebody they claim was elected. Now, it seems clear that that wasn't even a reality. This guy was clearly backed by the West and their people cried foul about the previous elections. But what's funny is they don't care about that, right? But over here in Bolivia, we can have a literal military junta take power over a real an elected Evo Morales and they support that. Or like if Taiwan suddenly did one thing, they would support no matter what happened to Taiwan because they support Taiwan. Or how about the fact that the Donbass region declares independence, goes through a referendum, they vote, and the world all acknowledges. But it's, the point is they don't really care about freedom, you know? So it's embarrassing to watch them pretend like this isn't, a, you know, whatever the terms they use. It's a revolution one day, or it's an overthrow the next, or it's an insurrection. That's what they use. Because, yeah. of course, we're thinking January 6th, you know? Like <laughs> Gotta tie it back. Yeah, it's just silly. <laughs> and we should fold in Ukraine, of course. That's getting a lot of attention, clearly. It's an ongoing proxy war with Russia. And we sent the cluster bombs that are considered a war crime to a lot of people around the world. And then just the other day, Kim.com posted this. According to the Russian defense minister, NATO has assembled 360,000 troops in Eastern Europe. Poland is preparing to occupy Western Ukraine. And he adds, if NATO moves from a proxy war setting into a direct war with Russia, it will be World War III with all the devastating consequences 
And he goes on to kind of hype it all up as uh, really scary. And yeah, it, it is tense, but I never want to kind of relish in the fear porn of it all. It might not go to level 11, but it is concerning. And the thing that stuck out to me is the mentioning of Poland specifically, because I had recently been reading about the U.S. ambassador to Poland being Mark Brzezinski, brother of Mika Brzezinski and son of Big Daddy Brzezinski, you know, the global chessboard, globalist supreme. So that is a big red flag to me in terms of, well, where would their next level operations operate through? Right. Someplace they control, somewhere where they have their people in place, and that would be Poland. So if yeah, if they're going to poke the bear again and harder, that is scary because every next move could be that level jump to 11, and it could come to our doorstep. But what are your thoughts on the current state of the Ukraine crisis and where it seems to be going? Yeah, I agree with what your general overview of the, there's a lot of fear porn and a lot of hype around. I mean, let's put it this way. That's already what's happening, right? Do you think for one second that Russia does not, not, Putin has said this openly. He's very aware this is a US run war. Like this is not, I think the Times covered this. It's on the record now, according to Ukrainian officials that they're using Blackhawks flown by U.S. personnel to fly in their teams into Russia to carry out assassinations of the generals. The U.S. has personnel. They're with them on the ground. How is that not involved? Like, so it's all semantic. So Russia's not stupid. They're very aware the U.S. has personnel on the ground that they're involved. So this idea that suddenly because of an open chess move, like where this shows that NATO's involved, Putin has shown himself to be very capable of restraint. That in Syria, over and over, after attacks that people argue he should have responded to, he didn't, because I think he was aware, that's my opinion, that that's what they wanted, right? They want the response, right? So I just don't think that's the case. But at the end of the day, you never know, because this is very serious. And my point is, I think we're already at the level of World War III. Quite frankly, I think we've been at that level for a long time, directed at the American people. But either way, I think that it's very clear that this is a dynamic they're aware of, that they're still trying to push those red lines so that they get some kind of a reaction. I tend to think it's bigger than just Ukraine. But first, just speaking of Ukraine, I think that the only way this goes away is if the U.S. government backs away. Any honest person has been made that very clear. That's not to take a side even. It's just simply to point out the only way this actually stops, because what the U.S. wants is not for this to stop. They want to get what they want and then for it to stop. <laughs> it's the same thing they say in Syria. Is that we're not going to let anybody rebuild until we get what we want. So you're hurting the people. Uh-huh. Right? It's like, until we get what we want. That's what they're saying. You know. So Russia has every right, in my opinion, to protect the people that wanted to be the Donbass, Crimea. We can pretend all day long that those are coups and occupations, but they're not. They have hundreds of international observers. They vote. They have referendums. It's just so silly. You know. They denied, like with Bolivia or with Venezuela, every time people get elected, they don't like, you know? So I think the problem is that people in Ukraine on all sides are suffering because of this. And if I had to guess, it doesn't appear that Russia wants to do anything but protect that. But I don't know. I'm not as dumb as the corporate media pretend I know what he thinks, you know? Yeah. I'm like you where I don't really frame it in terms of good guys and bad guys. Right. It's just a bunch of human beings and nations looking out for their best interests. But the globalists are the most aggressive. And everything I see shows that the West broke an agreement first with NATO and not having more NATO countries encircle Russia. And so when you back somebody up into a corner, they react. Exactly. And this has been a fairly measured reaction. 
I've heard a lot of analysts saying that they expected Russian submarines to be all along the East Coast aimed at Washington, D.C., and that hasn't happened in over a year. And it's not like they wouldn't be somewhat justified because even with the backdrop of Maui, we're looking at sending another 15 billion over there when people are starving. You know, people are are really struggling day to day. So yeah. to see their tax dollars sent overseas for the military industrial complex is pretty crazy. And then Told the me. news media is like, oh, he's a psychopath. Putin is uh, a monster, a, a cold hearted criminal. And it's like, well, you're your framing of things isn't really matching the reality. If he would have shown up with submarines on our East Coast, then that would have helped further your propaganda. But at some point, I think that Americans need to wake up to the fact that war is is not something to be played around with. And you want to wave your Ukrainian flag because you saw it on the TV and they told you to do it. You don't even really know what you're supporting. And if Putin wants to shift that propaganda balance. Yeah, something could happen here at home that suddenly gets people to say, whoa, uh, yeah, you know, wait a minute. Maybe we should take a step back. Ukraine isn't the 51st state. So <laughs> yeah. uh, let's chill out a little bit. So I don't know when the left became so pro-war. I always considered myself <laughs> on the left because throughout the 90s and early 2000s, it was the anti-war party. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you just can't identify with either side because their ideology is on a very shaky ground and it can be shifted and molded whenever they need to mold it. Uh, yeah, they're all pro-war. I think that's the crux of well, the point true. is that the government is pro-war and that's the only, yeah. if you ever want to see them come together, it's almost always on war. You know, it's, they may not even really be aware of that, but I think that's the ultimate reality. But the bigger thing for me is the genuine, I mean, Remember, he said, you know, denazify the area. And that was the, oh my God, it spun out of control. <laughs> Despite the fact that you can show those very same outlets like 30 seconds before this started going, oh my God, there's Nazis and they're everywhere. And it's right. just it's so stupid, right? And so what I really came to kind of synthesize this into, it's very clear. In my opinion, well, let's put it this way. What I can prove is very clear Then I'll give you why I think, which I think is very obvious as well. But you can prove that the CIA has been cultivating fascism in, the U- in Ukraine since at the very least 1948, even before they called themselves the CIA, right? This is on the record. It's called Project Aerodynamic. I've shown the documents a hundred times. They work with a guy named Mykola Lebed, who was an actual Nazi war criminal. That's why when I use the term Nazi for some of these people, I literally mean associated with the Nazi party. And then there's also neo-Nazis and so on. But that's a real term. It's not just hyperbole. This guy, Michael Lebed, was literally a Nazi war criminal in Poland before ultimately when some conflict happened, he was able to be shuttled away. The U.S. government, as they seem to do throughout history, protected him. They set him up in a company called Prologue, a media company, right, in Mm. Ukraine, but in New York as well. So they let a Nazi war criminal influence Americans with media in the early, what was this, this been like 50s, 60s, as it grew into prominence, the point was that was about creating fascism elements to use against the Soviet Union. It's on the record. It's just like they did in Afghanistan with the Mujahideen, which became ISIS, became Al-Qaeda, it's, you know, the truth. And so in this case, they built this up. They used the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, OUN, and that became the basis for the Azov movement. That's what this is today. You can prove all of this. Now, you can also prove that they up until recent times, have been continuing to create this extremist group. They were overlapping them with groups in the United States, with groups in Italy. The Rise Above Movement, who is this dangerous neo-Nazi group, that's the actual arm of the Azov movement in the U.S. It's documented. The FBI wrote an article about this. 
So the point is that was the group that became the beginning of the they will not replace us, Tiki Torches, Charlottesville. That was the rise above movement that you can literally tie back to the CIA, which became the basis for the whole, they're all the white supremacy, right wing, MAGA, all of it, man. And so I'm not saying that there aren't extremists, but you can clearly prove that. And so the craziest part about this is the Azov movement, in my opinion, and this is where it gets into my opinion, and I, there's also provable points in this, it was all about creating the illusion. And that's why they were saying Nazis before it got kind of exposed that Russia was doing this, that Russia was seeding the Nazism into Ukraine and that Russia was then seeding it into the United States. And here's the craziest part. It was also meant to influence January 6th because you can prove this. They had a Ukrainian from the Azov movement on the ground. He's pictured next to Jake with the horns and everything, literally screaming, let's go, go in, in Russian. Mm. He's a Ukrainian. You could prove this. And this guy's become kind of prominent in these discussions. But the point is, he's part of the Azov movement. He's here screaming things in Russian. And the whole point was all of this was meant to be the white supremacist rising group that was tied back to the fact that Russia was building all this. But then the moment when this got exposed, it was like, what Nazis? What do you mean? <laughs> That's not real. Well, they're only in Russia. You know, but you can still see the clumsy patchwork of people in the corporate media trying to say the real Nazis are here. And look, they're even coming into the United States. And but it just falls flat because you literally CNN will catch a Nazi salute by these people. And it's like, come on, we can all see it, yeah. you know. But I think that it's crazy to see how that was developing. Then you can overlap that with biolabs in Ukraine. And, mm. you know, there's a really central role playing out in all of this, which is a lot for some people to digest. But it's all sourced. If you look at my website, I've got, you know, people hate that. Look at my website. But <laughs> I've got the source links to CIA documents. You know, it's all right there. You can see all this stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. And that was really interesting just bringing it full circle th uh, thread through all the different agendas you're right they didn't really stick the landing there but it's clear that you could see how the pieces were looking to be framed and they just kind of abandoned the narrative and yeah. just oh. broke it off into three separate agendas go ahead the last main point sorry was just to, to bring it around to the idea of why it's justifiable in some people's minds for russia to stop that so you're building an entity that's like aggressively extremist like openly saying, we're going to seed the white race around the world. We're going to take over all these other countries, even though they say that's what Russia wants to do, right? They're the ones literally saying they're going to do that. And then aggressively, just ethnically cleansing the Donbass region, right? I mean, for 10 years now, and even the corporate media was reporting on this, and then suddenly it doesn't matter. So if these are people that are calling for Russia's support that vote to be a part of Russia, how do you not argue that Russia has an obligation to keep them safe from this crazy entity? And if U.S. is over here going, here's 40 more billion dollars. Here's cluster munitions. Two people that are literally going, we want to murder all of you. It's like, it's not hard to see. And that shouldn't be taken as a siding with Russia point. It's just, these are the facts, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the craziest part to me is that they have the rainbow flag wearing most liberal people in this country supporting it more than any other group. And it's like, you would be ideologically opposed to these people if you really knew the truth. It's <laughs> such a crazy capture. It's almost like these guys are sitting in some think tank being like, do you think we could do this? Like, <laughs> this would be very ambitious. Let's test our mind control and our Pavlovian training and our marketing and see if we can pull it off. And sure enough, they can. So it makes me feel sometimes a little hopeless when they're apparatus is that sophisticated for mind control, but it's just sad because it seems like we're just living in two different realities. Those who are looking at alternative media and those who are still stuck in the mainstream. And you hear that their numbers are dwindling, but 
It just doesn't seem like that to me. It seems more like people are firmly planted in their camps and it's more so that than some great awakening. I mean, I want to be optimistic, but I struggle to stay that way. And I guess I would ask you, like, as this is kind of coming to a to a wrapping up point, what do you think is the best thing to do for those who already get it? Because I'm sick of trying to wake up the friends and the family, you know, like a lot of us have probably tried to do for a couple of years. They're in such a denial state. It only makes them angry. It only causes more division and fighting. I think it's a better tactic to network with people who are aligned with you and already do get some of this. We saw a little of that with COVID with these kind of secret lists of businesses that would operate with the windows shut. I mean, that was going on in my town. So maybe that's the answer is, is finding those networks. But what do you think are some of the best ways to protect ourselves and guard against what we see coming, regardless of how many other people see it too? Well, I mean, first and foremost, just what we're doing here. I mean, it's hard to know whether we're reaching more people or that we're losing, you know, whether the media is failing in the mainstream or not. My gut tells me that that's what's happening. And I think that if the very least, whether we know or not, we know for sure that they wouldn't just give up, that as they fail, it's going to get more and more intense. I think that's a pretty commonly understood reality that they're not just going to go, OK, fine, you got us taken to jail. You know, it's not going to happen. So they're going to push back harder. And on top of that, they're going to increase their effort to manipulate and propagandize and divide the people still listening to them. So I think that's part of what's happening. I'm hoping anyway. That'd be my positive outlook. But I think there's been examples of the fact that like with the bivalent shots, an example I often use, where these are people that have been already taking all of the shots. And then we're just like, no, <laughs> we're done. We're not taking this next one. And even though they were going, you need it, you need it. And so it shows you that even those people were kind of like, yeah, okay, something's going on here. At the very least, I don't think I need that next one shot, that next shot. So just not listening to what they're being told. So that's a positive example. But I, I do agree with what you said there. And I think this is the hard part. And this is why I always point out, probably to the frustration of a lot of the audience, but every point, every time, the two-party paradigm is the reason that we can't get past this. They know that. And the problem is you have a lot of these screaming high-level influencers on both sides that don't care about the truth. They care about the team sport politics of it all, right? And they like the division. They, they like to, you know, cite the things that make their side look good and omit the things that don't, you know, and they'll do that whether it's career or whether they believe it. That's always going to happen. But the problem is that there's a lot of people that want to see through that that sometimes can't, you know, that kind of get pulled back into it. But I do think what you're saying is right, that we're kind of settling back into some can't, like, you know, the team sport politics. It's more reality TV for people than really seeking the truth. It's fun to watch these people argue, or it's fun to just go, I think it's direct energy weapons. Let's just make that the case and scream that until you, even though you don't know, you know, and so it's a lot of that happening. And I think that's a problem. But the only solution is more truth, more light, you know, the more we do this. And I think we, I don't know, at least it's in my mind. I, I, I don't, it's not in me to give up. I'm going to keep doing this at all costs. I think you agree. And that I think we are making a difference. And I think that's why it's getting so intense because we're, I think, I mean, when's the last time you saw these kind of narratives, discussions being had? Or, I mean, one thing that stands out to me is that the corporate media right now, almost on a daily basis, is reacting to what we're doing. I mean, think about how crazy that is. That never used to be the case. They're like having to go, no, wrong, that's a liar. Like that never used to be how that worked. And that shows you that they're concerned about that, you know? So I don't know. I, I like to end that mm -hmm. on a positive note. I think that we are making that difference, you know, but 
question everything, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Well, it's refreshing to talk to someone who I am on the same page with so many different things and to have a guest who doesn't throw in a Bible quote here and there or slide in how important it is to get Trump reelected. Right. These things where I just roll my eyes and like, okay, I'm on to the next point. Right. Um, so it has been a serious treat. Obviously, Whitney Webb and Derek Bros do get a lot of attention in the alternative media space. And that's one thing we could do. Maybe we all just need to move to Houston and get Derek elected mayor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to save a little bit of room here to maybe have you throw out some of the lesser known names that are on the last American Vagabond team. Uh, maybe people I should consider for interviews in the future, but talk to those listening about the journalists that you work with and uh, their expertise. Yeah, well, you mentioned Derek, Derek Rose, Conscious Resistance, Whitney Webb, and she runs the Unlimited Hangout. That's, you know, it's one thing I really pride myself on is that, you know, a lot of times people will work with others and kind of like, I actively promote and, and help wanting them to build their own things. And Derek's been around doing this long before me, even, you know, so I just, I love, it's important to me that they don't feel like they have to stop doing what they're doing elsewhere. You know, I want that to be grown. And we have Taylor Hudak, who also has been doing this a long time. She's right now working on a really important interview, Arna Burkhart, if you're familiar, he, he recently passed away, very prominent, you know, calling out the DNA contamination and the issues with the injections. And uh, he recently passed away, kind of under suspicious circumstances, but that hasn't fleshed out yet. But his last interview, Alive, is with her. And so she's taken a lot of time making sure it's well done. You know, Matt Arrett is a new addition for the writers. I Matt's work is so important. I think that I don't agree with all of it. And that's also something I pride myself on. You know, as long as you're making factual conclusions, I support it. When I bring somebody on, I don't tell them, I want you to write this or focus on that. I say, I want you to cover what you think is important period. It's kind of like the idea when you see somebody singing a song that you know somebody wrote for them, the passion's not there. Yeah. But when you see somebody sing a song that comes from their heart, you just see it, you feel it, you know? And that's how I see with writing. It's like, I don't want them to cover a story I want. You cover what you think is important, you know? And so Matt will talk about things, talk about things from a very interesting perspective. And he breaks it down. He proves it. Here's the side of material. And I'm like, yeah, he just may conclude something that I don't, I may have gone in a different direction. I pride myself on that. You know, it's important that we're open to different perspectives, but he really does kind of throw people for a loop, man. I love it. He, he challenges <laughs> these concepts that largely the right, I would say today, just, yeah, they just freak out about his reframing of things. And I, I just think it's important to shake ourselves up and ask different questions, you know, but we're constantly trying to broaden out and, you know, bring in new people. And, and, you know, one of the things right now that we're trying to do is raise more kind of like consecutive, like monthly funding, because as you know, probably as well, Everybody in the independent media is being attacked. I mean, I've lost Patreons and PayPals and all sorts of things, which is a huge part of it. But more today than ever, just the donation-based models are suffering because people can't pay a $1,500 energy bill. Who can? You know, it's ridiculous. And so I get that. But we're trying to kind of broaden this out because I want to not only continue to expand, but I, I want to maintain the level of work we're doing now. That's important, you know, because the truth is what – and we don't, we're not putting in ads or selling flashlights or, you know, it's just – it's there. It's free. You know, it's the, as no agenda puts it, the value for value, you know, mm. I think that's really important. And so I, you know, think what you're doing is important. I think people should be supporting this kind of work wherever they can. Amen. Amen. Well, Ryan, this has been a serious treat. I really value the the work that you do. And I hope we could do this again every so often because you're constantly Absolutely. covering the things that people need to know about. 
Before we go, do you have any other projects or big stories in the works that people should keep an eye out for, or at least give them the links and a, a breakdown of the various shows you do do? Thank you, man. And yeah, I'd love to join you again anytime. Let me know. Well, the lastamericanvagabond.com is always the place to go. Don't let the mediums out there, whether it be Rumble or YouTube with Rumble, you know, two top backers of Rumble happen to be BlackRock and Vanguard. Don't know why everybody doesn't care about that, but, you know, whatever the platform be, don't let them be the medium between us and our work. You know, like go to the website, go to your website, go directly to the source. I always think that's important. You'll find all the links to all the work we do. We cite everything, all the ways you can fund us and support us, you know, but the daily wrap up is my show that I do. And the uh, actually moving target actually came to an end. Rockfin decided they didn't want to do it anymore. So, so be it. But yeah. I still do interviews the same way. So. <laughs> but yeah, just we continue to do a lot of work. We have that big interview coming. We might be stepping into doing a documentary soon. That's kind of up in the air. We're working this out with some other groups. I don't want to throw it out. It's too early. But we have a lot of work coming, man. And we have a lot of new things we want to build and grow into. The pirate stream in general that I do with Scott and Courtney. Pirate Stream Media is kind of like this new umbrella. It's real in, new. It's going to flesh out over the next couple of years, I would argue. But it's something else we're doing and kind of building kind of like a co-op of other groups. And it's it based on my idea of Pirate Streams, you know, using other people's channels to broadcast through with the pirate stations, which I love, you know. Yeah. But yeah, so, thanks for having me on, man. I really enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed it. Of course. Your, your work ethic is super impressive. I love the stuff you do. And thanks for educating us on all these topics. Keep fighting the good fight and take care. Thanks, brother. You too. My, my, my. What a show, guys. Ryan Christian is certainly the man. I'm glad we got to finally connect. He's putting out so much content that I'm sure it was a big ask to get two hours of his time. So I really do appreciate what he brought today. Now let's talk a little more about the Maui fires. This is a classic THC problem. When you only do five shows a month and you have three or four days of a production pipeline, it's hard to talk about breaking news stories, and because I never want to miss big things that should be included in the coverage, I tend to wait longer than most to get into a story so that we can let the dust settle and make sure we have all the relevant info. And Ryan did bring some really good stuff. The Directed Energy Directorate is a great find. I'm already seeing fact check false articles circulating saying that facility is actually in New Mexico. Eh, not really, because if you go to their home website, it clearly states that this directed energy division is a network of facilities, not just a single one. And in the same paragraph, it names the Maui facility as part of this tight network that falls under the umbrella of directed energy directorate weapons research. I also think the land grab is probably the biggest reason for this. Rich elites trying to take over ancestral land that the people just weren't willing to sell without being forced. And still might not sell. But the news is already circulating that the government is trying to get their hands on it. And 30 days ago, the Hawaiian government announced a Build Without Barriers program basically trying to get at that land anyway. So the locals were pissed about just that program from what I've read, and then 30 days later, there's a fire that hits, so they say, where most of the holdouts were. But there are actually a few other things I didn't learn until later in the day after we recorded this interview, and I was actually booked on Tinfoil Hat with Sam Tripoli, 
So I was going even further out of my way to dig deeper into all the various threads and angles people were pulling at out there. And if you want to hear me and Sam going over all those threads for basically two hours, listen to that episode on his Rockfin channel. It's full video as well for people who want that. But the biggest red flag that I learned about just after hanging up with Ryan was that the Maui police chief, John Pelletier, was sworn in December 15th, 2001, and he is the first non-Hawaiian to lead the Maui police force. And I kept saying in that interview with Sam that when you're trying to determine if something is orchestrated or fishy, you got to look at deviations from the norm. I think he actually titled the episode that. And this is a big one. Now, I haven't gone and looked at every Maui police chief down the line and checked out their family tree, but I've seen several different sources saying this is the first non-native to ever have that position. And if that's true, well... Why did such a thing happen? Is it possible that they wanted to make sure they had their guy in there? I'd say so. And who is police chief John Pelletier? Well, apparently he was commander of the tourist district that includes the Las Vegas Strip during the Harvest Festival shooting. And you can find mainstream articles that were covering John's swearing in as police chief, and they weren't shy about adding this to his resume. But that should raise some eyebrows to the skeptical, right? It's a very curious thing. Maybe they wanted someone that they know can keep their mouth shut about orchestrated events. And to get weirder with it, just as a side note, we've already been over the fact that Jason Aldean was on stage at the time of that shooting. And he happens to have the exact Jack Ace of Spades tattoo as if it was lifted from the image on the Vegas card from the esoterically accurate Illuminati card game. Which, in that card game, there's actually also a Hawaiian land grab card, believe it or not. The card's just called Hawaii, but then in the description of what the card does, it says something to the effect of get plus one if the land is controlled by the government. So... Take that for what it is. I've always found that on-the-nose symbolic match to be really eerie, and it comes up a lot with that card game. But when someone participates in a ritual, they tend to get rewarded. And I see this whole controversy over his song, Try That in a Small Town, to be such a reward. Also, it's something in the zeitgeist right now, running parallel with this Maui Fires thing. So you make a manufactured controversy so that it amplifies coverage of this song that a lot of people just wouldn't even notice, and then more folks check it out, and suddenly it's 10 million views on YouTube and top of the charts. To me, that seems like a pat on the back for his participation in that event, and I think that's what we're seeing, though it's speculation, of course. And I know that the esoteric stuff and these sorts of things are more my bag than Ryan's, so maybe it's good that I'm only bringing up this stuff after. I don't want to sully his good name with my wild speculation. But I also just want to touch on a tweet from Health Ranger Mike Adams if we're looking at those deviations from the norm to see if something else seems off, and I would say, yeah, how about these points? He says, evidence keeps mounting that the Lahaina fires were deliberately shaped. Number one, the warning sirens did not sound. Were they turned off on purpose? Two, the local fire department was ordered off the fire, claiming it was contained. 
3. The fire was still burning, though, with 70-mile-an-hour winds known to be approaching. 4. Emergency responder resources were withheld from Lahaina as the fires raged. This is something I also heard from a guy named Kai something. He's a famous surfer in the area. He said straight up on his social media that resources were being withheld because they weren't government approved. Well, that's a big problem. People need water and people need food. If you intentionally withhold that stuff, to me, it sounds like an attempt to kill off more people. This is where it gets really dark. He also says, five, local schools were canceled to make sure children were at home without their working parents. As a result, hundreds of children were burned alive like a mass child sacrifice ritual. He also says there's a massive cover-up right now about how many children were burned alive. And this kind of jives with what Ryan said about nerfing that death toll by a factor of 10. Apparently, also, I read that the fire hydrants were dry when they went to use them. And then I've seen counterpoints from conventional people say, well, that's not a conspiracy. Like, they weren't shut off. It's just because they run on an electrical system. Well, yeah, that's the conspiracy because that's not normal. And it's just another example of how this whole energy switch is never going to work as designed and is actually intended to create chaos in situations just like this. Everyone's heard the term, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. Well, their fixing of a lot of our energy infrastructure is conveniently breaking it at very key moments like this. We also have all the celebrity homes that were untouched. Oprah, Jeff Bezos, Lady Gaga, Bill Gates, Will Smith, and Julia Roberts all have homes in Maui. Oprah has bought up another 800 acres recently, making over 1,000 acres in total. And this was an interesting detail. People were speculating about the underground tunnels in Maui, and there was a CNN article that was written to mock conspiracy theorists over this speculation. But even it says, interestingly, Oprah, who has a private road on the island that she alone uses to travel, was opened in 2019 when a similar wildfire took place. So there's an example of a previous fire in that area benefiting the rich. And what do you mean similar fire in 2019? I thought this was like a once-in-a-lifetime climate change event. Anyway, that article is a major gaslight if I've ever seen one, but that covers a lot of the extra stuff that I've seen. Obviously, $700 per household is a nothing offer designed to be the lowest number they thought they could get away with. And also, my wife sent me a screenshot of a book on Amazon. So the fire started on 8-8, maybe an esoteric number. And on 8-10, Amazon makes available a book called Fire and Fury, the story of the Maui fire and its implications for climate change. The description of the book says, this book chronicles the events from August 8th to August 11th. But its publication date was a day before. And that's not super crazy. It could just be someone trying to capitalize on the news when it's hot by slapping a book together. But because it frames it as a climate change thing right in the title, I have to include it as a narrative control element that seemed ready to go, as they say. Something we've seen before. Police Chief John Pelletier also encouraged people with missing family members to submit their DNA to help identify loved ones. 
I thought that was odd too, given that we just saw another disclosure in an elite stage panel saying that the tech is there to target and kill people based on their specific genetics. So in the same 48 hours, I hear this suspect police chief saying, hey, did you survive this tragedy? Make sure you send us your DNA. What, so you don't forget to clean up the rest of the mess? Hmm. Obviously, I'm going way out there with that, but it's not a common thing I hear in tragedies, so I'm just noting it. But all that said, I'm glad we packed a lot of other topics into this show with Ryan. I certainly hope we can make regular visits from him a thing, and to do that, I need you guys to shower him in praise. Let him know he was heard and appreciated so that he knows it's worth his time to do it again. People often ask me where I get my news. Well, the Conspiracy subreddit is a big source, as are other subs like Conspiracy2 and Conspiracy No Poll, No Politics, which I think was started by our buddy John LeBon. But Mike Adams, the health ranger, is also usually pretty quick. And let it be known that the last American vagabond is always right up there when it comes to places I go to get the alternative take on big stories. And you should, too. So big thanks to him. Ryan is active on Twitter, so if you are there as well, give him a shout. I would much rather you do that than review this show or like this show. I don't need a feel-good ego boost. I need to make sure high-level, informative guests want to come back in the future so I can make the best show I can make, and the rest sorts itself out. So I learned a lot today on a variety of topics. Also, let it be known that Ryan and The Last American Vagabond recently won a pretty important award. The Laureate Serena Shim Award for Uncompromised Integrity in Journalism. Much respect for that, too. And I do appreciate that he does it all on a value-for-value model. It's very impressive. I've mentioned before how I like that model far more than sponsorships and ads, but it just doesn't work for THC. Because when we tried it early on, big donors were trying to steer and select my interview choices. But the way a show like No Agenda is structured or a wide-ranging news site like Ryan's, big donors don't really have the same effect. And maybe these big donors were just being kind to me, but when a couple of grand comes in with a guest list and I don't bite and then it doesn't come back, you can see how it made me feel like some shadow puppeteers were trying to get their hooks into me at a time when I really, really needed that money. So I did plus instead, and I decentralized my income across the listener base, and I give them something in return when they contribute rather than just asking. And I don't ask you to take generic Viagra or sign up for some therapy session or all the weird stuff some of these other podcasters are doing now that I wouldn't be proud of. But everyone needs a funding model and this is ours. I'm also gonna give Ryan 500 bucks for the great work he does, fuck it. Let it circulate. But if you like THC and you want that second hour of this and all the other shows, it's just eight bucks. Sign up in your show notes or at thehiresidechats.com. If you sign up through the Patreon, you can also use PayPal and you can now listen to THC Plus on Spotify through that Patreon system. Also, spoiler alert, I'm going to be moving to a new membership management platform for Plus in about 60 to 90 days. And it will also open up Spotify for Plus for all members, which I really don't care about, but I can see the numbers of where people listen and the data don't lie. 
And it seems like that will probably be a new feature that moves the needle for a lot of listeners. So if you're super hungry for that, sign up through Patreon and get it now. Or just wait a bit because it is coming. Either way, it's all the same two-hour interviews, so you're not missing anything one way or another. But in this Plus show with Ryan, we talked about alpha-gal syndrome and tick bioweapons, new information about the jab and its damning effects, Charles Lieber and the technocracy, Apple's brainwave reading patent, new tech to read your visual cortex, mapping homes and tracking bodies' movements within them using Wi-Fi routers, and a lot of other branches on the technocracy tree. Some mind-blowing stuff. Really interesting. Don't miss it. You can also check the THC YouTube and social media accounts for some video clips that get made from these episodes now, including clips from plus parts of the show. And I got to apologize to Plus members for my dumb cat, Harvey. I'm so hard on guests who have background noise and can't cultivate two hours of silence. It's very unprofessional. And then here I am with a wailing cat in this interview. But really, my wife is the unsung hero of THC. She, at nine months pregnant, drags the little one out of the house every time I record in the Florida heat so that I always have absolute quiet. But on this day, the door to where the cat box is kept in the laundry room was closed, and I didn't realize that. So one of my cats was just wailing and going nuts, walking in and out of the room. And it was unusual behavior. And when I got off the call, I could see why. So sorry, little buddy. Sorry, listeners. My cats are usually quiet as long as they can walk in and out of the room. But that was something different. Anyway, I've been talking for a while, so let me hit the calendar and we'll wrap it up. We got August 25th, Crescent City, California, September 2nd, High Springs, Florida, September 14th, LA, September 16th, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, September 22nd, Alamosa, Colorado, and September 30th, Columbia, Missouri. If you heard a mention of a town near you, go to HiresideMeetups.com to get the details on the events and to RSVP. Make some new local friends. It's a beautiful thing, and you can do it before the next lockdown comes around, because there are already rumors circulating. But that's it for me. Big thanks to Ryan. Let him know, and I'll see you soon with the next one. I've done my part. Your move, directed energy fire starters, toxic train derailment, dioxin spreaders, and engineers of the slow and steady breakdown of everything. Door fucking move. Have a drink and a smoke. Listen to the cast. We shine a shiny spotlight. Put criminals on blast. The pinstripe men of morning. And families of finance DuPont, Windsor, and Rothschild The kids don't stand a chance The kids don't The kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance I said the kids don't The kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance We're looking for the answer to questions never asked so we come to the carwood for the higher side chats 
The pinstripe men of mourning and families of finance. DuPont, Windsor, and Rothschild. The kids don't stand a chance. The kids don't, the kids don't stand, the kids don't stand a chance. I said the kids don't, the kids don't stand, the kids don't stand a chance. We try to get a glance. We're working on the numbers. Resistance must advance. The pinstripe men of mourning and families of finance. DuPont, Windsor, and Rothschild. The kids don't stand a chance. The kids don't. The kids don't stand, the kids don't stand a chance. I said the kids don't, the kids don't stand, the kids don't stand a chance. The kids don't, the kids don't stand, the kids don't stand a chance. I said the kids don't, the kids don't stand, the kids don't stand a chance. <laughs>